they often send another force to reclaim the territory. And I say that in inverted commas because they regard a human being as a field that they can harvest. And if they lose it, and if they lose a very profitable one, they, they quite often send another force back to reclaim it, which is another battle that I've got to find, got to find, got to find, got to find. Welcome everybody to Your Ghost Stories. Today we have an absolutely fascinating guest and I really can't wait to pick his brains and hear more about what he has to say and dive deeper into the subjects of astral projection, healing and exorcisms. So welcome Alibi Jones, it's great to have you here. Uh, thanks for having me today mate, Look, um, it's really really good to be here. Yeah, you're right, I, am, I do have a lot to say on this topic and I think it's pretty rare. Like. Most healers of my um, experience would be medical intuitives, but I took a different, and, and I have had medical intuitive successes, but my focus has been on mental health, which has led me down the road of exorcism. And I have this, this one thing that I keep saying, I, all mental health issues are caused by demonic interference, all of them. And if you think about it for 15 seconds, these invisible monsters that are that have uh, that are in our religious texts, and all religions talk about them. Um, these invisible monsters that mess with our minds might just be the cause of mental health issues, and that's like the big thing that I'm trying to get out there in the world. And you know, for people who have had very little response from conventional treatment. You should come give me a call. I, I'm the guy who has the answers that you're looking for. Where did it all start for you? Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what led you to become the person that you are today. I grew up in Melbourne, Australia. Like, um, and the reason I got into this was alcoholism. Like, uh, I drank like a thirsty fish. I was the youngest member in Alcoholics Anonymous for a while. And, um, and they gave me... Uh, call it a management position or a service position or whatever it is, you know, like, but the chat, they gave me a key role in the charity side, the international charity side of it. Oh, sorry, the, 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 the city and the province that we we're in, like, is a pivotal role. And what it did is it gave me access to all of these other alcoholics. You go to the 12-step meetings, you hear the same things over and over again, same, same stories, different situations different details from different people. There's a lot of consistency in what's going on there. Um, and I, we had somebody in the club who had their master's in psychology and they said the answer to alcoholism is not in psychology. You know, I, I'll take your word for it. You know? And uh, so I started looking at, and six out of the 12 steps talk about the big G God. And so I started going out and religion shopping, trying to figure out which religion would work best. 
And so I uh, I tried the old school churches and they were useless. I tried the newer happy clappy churches and they were full of nice people, but they couldn't help me. I hung out with the Buddhists for a little while and, you know, they have something, but you have to hang out with them for five years and do the stillness meditation. And then when you're ready to do the, put on the orange robe, then they'll show you all the funky astral projection stuff. Um, as it turns out, the hippies, they just wanted some money. And so I did, I did one of their astral projection courses and it paid dividends. It gave back more than any of the other religions did. So then I did another one and another one. I ended up doing 50 like easily. <laughs> and, you know, then from what I learned of those arts, I've then um, used the tools I have to continue research and redevelop exorcism. And the reason why is in the third astral projection course that I did, they just showed us these parasite spirits. They didn't tell us anything about them. They just showed them to us. And they showed us how to scan the human body for them. And so I'd do that, and I saw that I had a bunch, and I'd go to the 12-step meetings, and I'd see all, everybody else there had a bunch too. And I thought, well, there's a correlation here, you know, because people, other people don't have them, or at least not so many. And, um, and it took me about four months to figure out how to get the first one off me. And when I did, about three or four days later, I'm walking down the street, and I go, Oh, I feel wonderful. I feel great. Now, oh, this is how normal people feel all the time. This is how people, not people without problems feel. Right, okay, this is a big deal. I'm going to follow this up. And then I went and then I you know, messed around in that town for a little while and then moved oh, and, this, right, and then bought a one-way ticket to India on a spiritual quest to figure out how to beat these guys every time. And I learned that. Okay? But there's more than one type, as it turns out. Wow. What, what a fascinating journey you must have been on in your life to see all these mm. different cultures and religions um, and kind of make your own mind up of, of what, what this existence really is. So... For the people that list, for the people listening that may not know what astral traveling is, could you explain? Oh, okay. So, uh, your mind can leave your body at any time. Uh, wow. The U.S. And, and there's two basic schools of astral projection. One is the healer route, where you work through trauma and pain and um, and your individual personality and comb out the parts that you don't like so that you can be a better person, you can feel good all the time. The other one is the U.S. Army, which focuses on um, spying, which is at, which, and they call it remote viewing. And so what happens is you start in the 3D realm, you fly up to the spirit world, the Nagual, the astral planes, there's lots of different names for it. And you fly over to the other location and you go back down into the 3D and you look around. And that's, and that's uh, remote viewing. And you report back everything you see and that's the spy capacity of it. Um, you know, for, the, um, for the healers, they start in the 3D, they go up to the astral realms and then they come down on their own person or the next person to heal their pain. 
and that's the most common. Those are the two common schools that are around. So can anybody do this? What learning every or training? Being has, every human being has the required anatomy to do it. We all have the apparatus and the tools. <clears throat> it's kind of like reading. You know, a thousand years ago, if you could read, you were special and blessed and you must have been born under a fantastic star or something like that. And it's nonsense. Like now we realize very quickly that everyone can do it and that there's great benefits when everyone and everyone should do it and there's great benefits when that occurs. But you know, And astral projection is the same. And just straight off the bat, it will replace, in time, it will replace every function that we use for psychology because it's just a better tool. So it is something that I've heard about many, many times over the years, but I think I've tried a couple of times, but without success. Maybe, maybe I think unconsciously I've done it mm -hmm. where I've been in a dream state and I felt myself kind of floating and I was aware that I, I wasn't necessarily dreaming, but, and, and, and yeah, I could get myself off the floor, but it, it felt so real. Um, and I, and I could see myself, you know, like first person view, like I am now, but I saw myself lifted off the ground. Is that astral traveling? Yeah. Yeah. Look, um, when you enter the dream state, you, and you remember it, this is a particular brain wave pattern. You see, like you have four different, um, four different brain waves, you have beta, alpha, theta, and delta. And theta brain wave is where hypnosis occurs and uh, dreaming and astral projection. And beta brain wave is the one we're using now where we're thinking and talking and analyzing. And if you can get your brain to different parts of your brain to run at those different brain waves, then you're either astral projecting or lucid dreaming. So what learning or training does it take to become a successful astral traveler? Well, there's lots of different trainings. Strangely enough, I do, I do a year-long training. And when people come out of that, depending on how much work they do during the course, um, they come out as uh, very talented astral projectors. Uh, it's basically... I did 50 courses to learn everything, to learn half of what I know. And um, this course, I designed it as the course I wish someone had shown me right from the very beginning. All the things that I learned over with spending all that money and all that time, I just give it away. Like it's very, very cheap and it's probably one of the most comprehensive courses that you'll find. So where can our listeners find this course if they're interested? Allobarjones.com. I have an intake in January. I start a new group in January. So before this call, I did take a look at your website, allobarjones.com, and you make some pretty amazing and bold statements. So you mm -hmm. say that you're able to train people to astral travel, like what we we're just talking mm -hmm. about, or become healers. And mm -hmm. you also say that you're able to assist with severely mental ill people and return mm -hmm. them back to a healthy state with functioning minds. Mm -hmm. And lastly, you're able to resolve addiction issues permanently within people you work with. 
All right, I'll start with um, I'll start with addiction because uh, it's where I got started. It was actually my ambition when I began this entire drama. When I started all of this study and uh, let's just say weirdness. And the um, and this is what causes addiction. And I'm going to talk about alcoholism, but the same blueprint applies to everything. So there, there is a Muslim deity called Al Ghul. Not Al Gore, the ex-US presidential candidate, but Al Ghul, A-L-G-H-U-L. And um, where the Muslim and Christian empires met was in Spain, and there his name changed to Alcohol which is the Spanish word for alcohol. And when we say drinking spirits, like what we're describing is inviting that deity into our body. Like, like back, in the, back in the Middle Ages, spirits were, like spirits were a normal conversation piece. They were accepted. Now they're not. But when we're drinking spirits, we're inviting that spirit into our body to make us feel good and make us act weird. Right? This is alcohol. Now, the Muslims hate that deity. They know him and they hate his guts. Right? They call him the god of chaos and destruction and mayhem and fermentation and rot and alcohol. Like He's not a pleasant guy. And they don't want him in their culture. So that's why you can't get a beer in the Muslim world. It's because of this spirit, because of this deity. Now, I've, I've, I've fought this guy a a few times actually, and there's there's a few YouTubes about it, and I can go into detail. But the relevant part for us is that the the general demon has colonels and majors and captains, and da, 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 and the foot soldiers. They inhabit the individual person, and that's where people get their impulse to drink. That's where people lose control around drink. That's where people obsess about drink. Like literally, the the minion of Al Ghul is just tapping them on the shoulder. Hey, mate, how about a beer? Have you thought about having a beer? Wouldn't you like a beer? Isn't that a good idea? Hey, why aren't you drunk yet? Like, and they just drink, and like it's like a like a constant drone in the mind. And it becomes an obsession. And that's how we know addiction. Now, it took me years to figure, it took me at least a decade to figure that one out. But, um, the, you know, once you clear Al Ghul out of an alcoholic, their desire for booze disappears. It just dissipates. This is the same mechanism for marijuana or heroin or ice or any of those, or crystal meth or whatever it is that's going around these days. It's just a matter of me astral projecting into that person and finding these nefarious characters and exterminating them. Right, once they're exterminated, then you have a chance at the person being, um, what's the word I'm looking for, becoming normal or normalizing. Because, you know, like with rehabs, what happens is the person pushes themselves towards clean. And then as soon as they get out, the monster pushes them straight back into the mess, right? And so with addiction, you have, they all, these demons also leave a whole lot of garbage around, a whole lot of garbage thoughts, a whole lot of garbage ideas. And it takes time to sweep them all up and dissolve them. 
but it's a process and I have a team who's devoted to it. So as somebody myself who has suffered from addiction for around mm -hmm. 15 years, I was a heavy marijuana user. Um, mm -hmm. But luckily I had the willpower to and found it within myself to, um, to stop. So, mm -hmm. and it's now been a good, a good over a year, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And I feel great for it. And I feel so much more human, so much more alive. But would you mm. say this spirit or this demon, whatever you'd like to call it, would you say it's still inside me? Because, of course, I still get the urge. I still think about it. Yeah, look, and he's not leaving. And I'll tell he's not leaving for anything. Like, if he goes back to his masters and say, oh, sorry, this guy got clean. I Like, there's nothing I could do. They'll kill him. He is a slave and he is being driven to push you into weed. And I'll tell a story from Alcoholics Anonymous where we had a guy there who was sober for 23 years continuously. And he, and then one day he, you know, 23 years of winning the daily battle against his demon. Then one day it beat him. And he found himself at exactly the place he was the day he stopped drinking, which is drinking beer out the front of the supermarket, picking fights with people. Uh, he's in his 60s and he's doing this. this <laughs> like It's total insanity, but the demon was that patient. It was that patient. Right. So that, that's, that's my answer to your question. Is it still there? Well, it definitely was for that guy. Is this a battle against good and evil? Yeah, that's um, that's where I play. That's my job. That's um, you know, I do this for individuals, but I also have uh, a, we have an American team, uh, Australian team, and a European team who join together and fly out and beat these guys up. We're very good at what we do. Are you able to give an example of what you do to to when you astral travel and visit these people in this fifth dimension or dream state, what are the mm -hmm. actions you take here to, to, to rid of these demons? Well, you'll laugh when I tell you this one, right? Uh, about 10 days ago, two weeks ago now, uh, a friend of mine, she does earth work. So she goes and changes the energy in the land. It's a very, very challenging and high-level um, job. But she flew, her third attempt, she flew over to Ireland. She was stopped twice. And on the third time, she flew to Ireland to rehabilitate Irish sovereignty. So she went to the origin, to the tomb of the king, of the first king of Ireland. She went there and somebody poisoned her. She went to hospital. The ceremony was not completed. And so she and I flew back there together and went back to the tomb of the first king of Ireland, which is Irish sovereignty. And we removed Excalibur, the astral, uh, the astral object of Excalibur from the tomb and returned it to England. So the influence on Irish independence, the English part of it was returned to England. And then... Within a week, there's riots in Dublin. That's the power of earthwork. That's the power of, well, of doing our job well. It's not easy at all.
Alba, I find this stuff absolutely fascinating and I have absolutely no reason to disbelieve you. But I'm sure some people listening may think that this is just way too kooky and out there. What would you say to those people? I'd say uh, the science as it stands right now is this. All of the best research, all of the leading universities in the US that are working in psychology are all studying meditation. All of them. If anyone who's trying to get anywhere with improving people's minds, they're, they're researching meditation. The old school Freudian is dead or as good as dead. Now, I talk about demons and other wild, messed up concepts. And, you know, we would, the, the next question that a skeptic would ask is, where is the science? And I would ask the same question. You see, there is not a single paper published academically anywhere about demons. Science has no comment on it. It doesn't talk about it. But all of the major religions do. And so in English, in uh, Christianity, we call them demons. In, uh, in Hebrew, they're called Ouija, where we get the word Ouija board. Uh, in Islam, they're called jinn or genies. Read Aladdin's lamp um, is a story. And you can see different cultures have different attitudes. You know, in, in Christianity, they say never make a deal with the devil or never make a deal with, uh, with a jinn. But, um, Aladdin, he um, he did, and he had a wild adventure, but it ended up biting him, biting him in the back. So the, yeah, you can deal with a jinn, but there's a big price to pay. And uh, the, the Hindus call them butpret. The Chinese religions call them morguai. Now, each of them describe them as a as an invisible monster who messes with people's minds. In its most simplest form, they can all agree on that definition. Um, and, you know, for anyone who says this is too wild, I'll say, well, why should we listen to you? You've done, you're, in all likelihood, you've done zero study. You've spent zero time investigating this. And so, like, what do you know? What do you bring into the party? They just go, oh, I don't like that idea. Well, I don't care. Like, you know, leave it to the experts. Thank you very much. Great answer. And I think some yeah. people like to bury their head in the sand because, you know, they're saying ignorance is bliss. Oh, look, yeah, and that's not, it's not our problem. Mm. Bliss. You're clearly well studied on this subject. So, yeah, um, I mean, <laughs> if I had to trust someone on this, I'm sure it'd be you. I suspect, I'm not, I suspect that I'm in, that I, I'm a world leader. I suspect this because I haven't, I've only met one, sorry, I only know two other professional exorcists. One of them I trained and the other one, um, when he came on our astral projection group flights, he saw what we were doing and he ran away. We didn't see him again. So, you know, I, if I'm, if I'm not the best in the world, then I'm probably top 10 and I, I don't know. And I sounds like an ego trip, but I'm really dying to meet some other, people who do this i really am so why do you think that the western world that we live in is so out of touch with our spiritual side it's funny because when i went to investigate the churches you know they said oh so i said to them what's your program what do you do here how what's your 
course of training, like what do you want people to do? And it was a one-step answer to go find Jesus. I go, cool. All right, I want a mentor. I want books to read. I want you. I want to know the difference between me just talking to the wind and me talking to Jesus. I really want to know that. And nobody had ever asked them that question before. Like they didn't know how to answer it. They were totally lost with it. It was really weird. Like so, I think, I think, um, and, and and religions offer two things. They offer social context, and they offer prayer life. And I think the focus has gone away from prayer life. But you know, I. That's what I see because I'm not really deep in any religion. So I don't really know. There might, this might be happening, but prayer and prayer and meditation are the key technologies. And I say technologies, not tongue in cheek at all. The key technologies that are in the middle of being suppressed, you know, the, um, you know, in the middle ages, they, they went on the witch hunts. And killed all the witches, and then they killed the heretics, which were the um, which were the Catholic magicians who also learned hedge magic. So the witches learned druidism, and hedge magic, and nature magic, and then uh, so they killed all of them so that they don't have to compete. They absorbed midwinter into the midwinter festival into Christmas. They um, they did a whole bunch of things like that. And then they killed the heretics, the people who knew both church magic and druidism. And um, and then they tried to destroy the Knights Templar and failed, which was a which is actually a school of witchcraft. It's a it's actually a demonic school of witchcraft. If you learn, if you go to a Masonic lodge, if you learn Freemasonry, you're learning demonic magic. It's really that simple. And this stuff is this is some stuff that I've researched myself over the last ten years, and it's very prevalent in Western worlds and mainstream society, Hollywood, all those kind of places. And um, yeah, I personally, I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that evil rules currently. Uh, look, um, yeah, look, it's well, I'll, I'll spend a bit of time talking about Freemasonic history. Like, they were the Knights Templar, and then in 1309, the Pope put out a... Um, they were very good at banking. They made their money in sheep and mar and working marginal land that nobody wanted. Um, and they, they invented a kind of banking or a proto-banking. And then in 1309, the Pope sent out an order through all of Christendom to kill all of the Knights Templar. Now, strangely enough, an order that goes Europe-wide or Christendom-wide, they heard about it. And, um, and about, uh, we estimate, two-thirds of them ran away to Switzerland. They changed their name to the Freemasons and began uh, the cornerstone of Swiss banking. And just as a little, just as a, uh, they became, the Knights Templar became somebody when I think it was nine, I'm pretty sure it was nine, um, priests or warrior priests went to Jerusalem and found Abraham's tomb. Abraham? This is old stuff. I haven't looked at this stuff for a long time. Yeah. Um, Solomon, sorry, King Solomon's tomb. 
and uh, they spent about 10 years studying it. And then they wrote letters back to Europe. And the next, and they called themselves their little group of, of warrior priests, the Knights Templar. The next 10, um, the next 10 initiates to their, to their temple were the Duke of this place, the, the Earl of that place, the Baron of here, the King of there, like, you know, all of the really, all power players in Europe, you know, all these really big names. And so they found some magical secrets there, but they also found a technological secret, which is kind of interesting. Would you like to hear what the technological secret was that they brought back? What is the secrets of the universe? No, no, this is the secret. This is why they called themselves the Masons. The secret that they brought back, you know what it was? Go for it. It was a heavy weight on a piece of string. This is called a plumb bob. And you use it to make sure that you can build walls perfectly vertically straight. Because when you hold that string down, you get a perfectly straight vertical line. Gravity makes it perfectly vertical. And then you can guide the wall to go perfectly straight. And when you can do that, then you can build these immense cathedrals, these incre this incredible architectures possible. And that's one of the reasons they became famous. That's one of their steps to power. It's the technology they brought back, the public technology that they brought back from uh, King Solomon's time. Yeah. So, but those guys are still around and they're still playing their games. And, and I think that world politics right now is not, is a game of infiltration. Because you have uh, the Freemasons who've infiltrated everything. Um, you know, there's, there's once, I think it's once you get to 20 or 21, 20 or 21st of 20, 33 ranks that you have to make an oath to cover up the crimes of your fellow, um, of your fellow Masons, right? And so what this meant is that they did a heavy recruiting drive in the courts and in police. And so they've corrupted the judicial system there. Um, they've infiltrated the judicial system and politics and business and you name it. They've been around for a very long time. You, but infiltration is also set up like Klaus Schwab. He has his group called the Young Global Leaders and Shapers. Um, initiate, uh, sorry, his inner circle includes the leader of France, Macron, the leader of England, the Indian fella. Um, Jacinta Ardern is one. Uh, the uh, Dan, oh, sorry, the leader of Victoria, the worst province to be in in Australia during the pandemic. Dan Andrews is one of them, and you know these are the people that are talking about the Great Reset, right? These are the these are the guys who are pushing the agenda of the Great Reset the hardest because this yeah. is Klaus Schwab's baby, and it's currently dead in the water, like. But these guys have not. Been, yeah, these guys have had not been have not been arrested. Um, but you also had a list um, that got published of two hundred thousand agents of the Chinese spy service, who um, you know, because you know, I don't know where you're from, but my family's been in Australia for a few generations, and we consider ourselves Australian. This is not how it works with the Chinese. The Chinese will be fourth generation locals. And still be loyal to China, and so there are, and so there's a list of two hundred thousand heads of industry, and politics, and government, who 
um, who are on the list of um, paid staff for the Chinese government, paid informants for the Chinese government. Like nowadays, the key to the whole game is infiltration. And it's kind of happened right before our eyes. I remember 15 years ago, 10, 15 yep. years ago, um, having this, having a conversation similar to this with a friend. And I, I was so naive to everything. I had no idea. And this friend's the one that opened my eyes and to, to you know, what's going on in the world. And yeah, it's, it's just fascinating to see over the last 10 years, Everything that he said is coming into fruition. What did they call it? It was something. It wasn't the Great Reset ten years ago. It was called. Um, it was called something else. Like in the conspiracy well, circles, it was known as. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, no, no, we we have been expecting this for quite some time. Mm. It's had a few different names, but like they just want a prison planet. They just want a prison planet. If you doubt this, I want you to Google the line which is something they're building in Saudi Arabia. And it's a prison for 500 million people. Hmm. They want the entire population, remaining population of humanity to go and live in the line. Check it out. Check it out. It's fascinating. What is it? What do these people get out of this? What they're trying to achieve? Uh, are they fighting a battle there's, for evil? There's a, galactic, there's a galactic politics issue here, right? So, um, and I'm not sure if the ghost stories people are really into a galactic politics lecture, but um, I do have a YouTube on it called The Absolute Solution. So, you know, look me up and figure out why things are going this way. And, and I would suggest to you that the demonic forces are an invasion force for, for Earth. And you can go back to that story where Lucifer was cast out of heaven and he was sent to Earth. I think that's what they're describing there is, a, um, is the landing ship that he showed up on. Whatever happened to that. I'll definitely be checking your video out. Yeah. Alba, to me... You seem like such a normal guy. You know, you're, you're a dad, a partner, a son. What is it about you that, you know, what is it that allows you to harness all of this knowledge and power? And why are you fighting against this force? Um, no, I'm not special. Like, like I said, like I used to be a, uh, a construction guy who drank like a fish. There's nothing special going on there. Like, so anyone can do it. Um, what else do I want to say? What most of the people who do my job um, are total space cadets. Without <laughs> being funny about it, and God bless them. You know, there's a lot of them, but you know, they, the, if you do this training, the risk of becoming a space cadet is quite high. And the trick to it is to stay grounded, to stay practical, to stay in the real. Don't forget that our intelligence is primarily in the 3D. We're primarily in the world that we know. The other world that we visit may or may not be more valid or it may or may not be more important or may or whatever you want to say about it. But the fact of the matter is that you, are, you have two arms and two legs and you need to look after yourself. And so that's what I, you know, I recommend. And in, in mystic circles, you say, 
stay grounded. Keep it real, folks. Keep it real. <laughs> oh no, hang on. I will. I, I will say one more thing though. I think the thing that allowed me to get somewhere with this is honesty. Incredible honesty, ridiculous honesty. And it's to do with if you tell a lie and you even convince yourself of the lie, then then you're lost. You know, if if you can lie to yourself, if you can mislead yourself, for whatever reason you might want to do that then you're a lost cause. Your mind is has a, has a self-created limitation. You're going to be reacting to situations that aren't real. You're going to be pushing at things that don't make sense. Yeah, honesty, honesty, honesty. I can't, um, can't say that word enough. Your honesty, it really does shine through. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this your words are your words are really going to open their eyes. Oh, shucks. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to mental health. As somebody who suffers from anxiety and depression from time to time, what spiritual practices can I put into place to ensure a better future and, you know, improved general mental health? Well, how much meditation are you doing? So back in the COVID times, I was quite strict and I was doing a minimum of around 45 minutes a day and I was yeah. in a very good place. Um, but since, you know, we spoke at the beginning of the call, I've got a child, uh, I'm self-employed, I've got a business to run and so mm -hmm. I've been slacking massively. But at the beginning of this week, um, a couple of days ago, I, actually, I, I said to myself, right, that's it. I'm going to every single day without, without fail meditate for at least, you know, 10, 20 minutes. Everything, everything gets better with meditation. Everything gets better with meditation. And meditation means as many things as the word exercise. There's as many different styles and things that, and methods to employ as the word exercise. It's really, really straightforward. Um, and I had an ex-student who was meditating rigorously and her career was really launching, you know. And then, uh, then about I, I lost track of her. And then about six months later, I bumped into her, and I, she said, "My life's not moving forward in the way I wanted to. What's going on?" I go, "How much meditation are you doing?" She goes, "None." I go, "Well, there's your answer, right? Meditation is where you get out of your own way, where you learn to be more, where you become a better person." And here's a secret that you know the squillion that the you know the CEOs and the very very top performing individuals in in every field, if they don't meditate real hard themselves, then they definitely have someone like me, which is a coach behind them, to make sure that their success that they keep increasing in success and increasing in capacity. And increasing in clear thought and increasing in possibility because that's one of the things that meditation offers and and those things will square away your anxiety and depression for as long as you do that so meditation for somebody that's never tried it is a very weird concept just sitting in a quiet potentially dark room 
just alone with your thoughts or trying not to think or just alone with your breath. Um, what, where would you suggest somebody that's never tried it, but, but, but is interested, what would you suggest okay. they do? Where would they go? Oh, look, look, stillness meditations and breath meditations are everywhere. Um, and they bear, they bear fruit. Like, I remember like uh, I would go to this thing on a Tuesday afternoon with a Buddhist monk and um, he would teach us this breath meditation and he said the trick is to not think a single thought for seven breaths, right? And I couldn't do it. I, I, I think it was a couple of months before I succeeded in doing seven breaths in a row without thinking a whole thought, right? And that week I had an attack of memory. Like literally all of the things, I remembered hundreds and hundreds of things that I had forgotten, hundreds and hundreds of situations. And I, I like my memory was just reliving all of these places I'd been and things I'd done and people I'd talked to, only stimulated by holding, not being, not thinking for seven breaths in a row. Um, and so it unlocks your mind. It unlocks your potential. And I'll go a step further, right, is if you're physically underperforming, then you know you've got to go to the gym, right? If you're mentally underperforming, then you might want to read a few books and get some new ideas, do a bit of study, watch some YouTubes, do a short course on the thing you want to learn. Emotionally, if you want to be emotionally stronger, meditation is the answer. Well, there you have it, folks. And somebody yep. that I, I, you know, I, as I said, I I spent a few years meditating rigorously. It absolutely transforms your life. Um, I said to myself, I worked plenty of jobs that I hated over the years, and I said to myself, right, I'm so I'm a musician now full time, and I said to myself cool. a few years ago, right, I'm going to do what I love, and within the space of eight months. And during that time, during that eight months, I was meditating, I was exercising. So I was looking after my body, looking after my mind. And in such a short space of time, I completely transformed my life. And now I get to do what I love every single day. And I get hobbies like this, um, talking to fascinating people like you. You know, it's late at night here, but I don't have to get up for a job tomorrow morning. Um, I can just sit and have this amazing conversation with you. And I do put that down to, to meditating. Um, I think that played a massive, massive part in me becoming who I am today. Um, so, and you've really inspired me. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna get back into, into good habits and make sure it's yeah. a daily routine. And I hope people yeah, listening do too. Oh, look, the advice I keep getting asked for, people will ask me for advice and the advice I keep giving, go like, oh, you've got problems? Did you meditate on them? Well, try that and get back to me and I don't hear from them again. It's pretty straightforward. <laughs> Even if somebody's not spiritual or thinks everything that we've been talking about is kooky and weird, I've got lots of friends that have no interest in what we're talking about, but they meditate because they just know how great it is for, for their mental health. Yeah, try it. Yeah, like in all seriousness, like if you're not doing it, go and have a new life experience and test what we're talking about. Be scientific about it. Find out if it does what we say it does. You have absolutely nothing to lose other than potentially a little bit of time. But what's that time going to be spent doing otherwise? Sitting, watching oh, yeah. TV, so drinking a beer? Yeah, or... totally. You're going to be one episode behind in Netflix. Yeah, right. Big deal. <laughs>
So um, you can just catch up after the meditation. Bingo. Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> Am I right in saying uh, you are also an exorcist? So, in what sense are you an exorcist? Please tell us a little bit more about this and how it goes hand in hand with everything else we've been talking okay, good about. Good question. Yeah. Um. So, in after studying demon kind for fifteen years, I um I've come to the conclusion that there are eleven different body systems that demons like to inhabit. Oh, sorry, eleven different non-physical body systems that they inhabit. And when they live there, they are parasitic and they, um, and they literally take your life force away. Uh, I've spent years also figuring out how to get them out because it's, um, you know, it's a free lunch for them, for them to live there. And they don't want, and they've worked very hard to get there and they don't want to be anywhere else nor is it even safe for them to go anywhere else. So them inhabiting you is their singular choice, and they have to manipulate people's minds in order to eat. So I've taken a long time figuring out which, which body systems they inhabit and how, to clear, and how to remove them from those body systems. And the results are a clarity of mind. A singularness of will, not <clears throat> not between, not about being torn between different ideals, but something where you know who you are, you know what you're doing, you know what you want, you know how to get there, and you know what your next step is. Which, if you're if which if you've got more than one mind living in you, it's an amazing feeling to know to have that singularity instead of having all of these different horses pulling the cart in different directions. Well, I also have a YouTube um, called Exorcism Before, During and After. The only thing that's different about that particular uh, session was that she let me record and publish it. That's the only thing that's different about it. So see what she looks like on the day that we're doing it. See us talk to the demons and see what sort of conversations we have because they'll talk straight out of her mouth. I've developed a technique where they'll do to make them do that. And, um, and so we converse with them. Uh, and also, you'll see what happens because we get on the phone two weeks later and you'll see what she's like then. And she spends 40 minutes just waxing lyrical about how much better she feels in all of the different ways she feels. But, you know, check it out because it's worth your time. So it doesn't sound like... so. From watching films like The Exorcist, it doesn't sound like what you put these people through is anywhere near on a level, say, what a Catholic priest would do. Well, okay, okay. so the, the movie The Exorcist was uh, published in 73. And it was in a reaction to John Paul II becoming the Pope in 72 because one of the first things he did was he uh, dissolved the exorcist unit, the, so the order, the exorcist order of monks. He disbanded them. And so they made that movie of a case that they handled. And the point of the movie is, hey, look, this is things out, this sort of thing's happening out there. This is why we need exorcists. Right? And I think it's only in the last couple of years that that exorcist order has been reinstated. But I, when you watch the movie, right, they have a girl who's clearly possessed and um, 
And what and how do they resolve that? The priest invites the demon into his body and then jumps out the window and kills himself, right? That's how they resolve it. That's not professional. That's not sustainable. That's not a way to do anything. Right? That's not how it should be done. Those guys are bunglers. Just as simply as I can say it. Could you talk a little bit more about the process that you take? So is it all verbal? No, no, no. It's um, some of my clients are drug addicts, and you couldn't get get them to agree to anything. You know, is the sky blue? You know, if these are the kind of guys, if you ask them to move a little bit to the left, the first thing they'll do is move to the right. So getting them to cooperate in this is a non-event, an absolute non-event. So what the parents usually hire me to do is to do it do it without their knowledge. And so I'll fly into this person and uh, get, go Rambo on them and sort and sort them out that way. The now the first thing that people ask me is, is that spiritually legal to go and interfere with somebody? And in that case, firstly, you're defending the demon's right to manipulate people, and secondly, just like any other medical process. Um, when a person is not mature enough to look after themselves, then their guardian is able to make that decision for them. In this case, if they're on a lot of drugs, it's their parents who are footing the bill. It's their parents who are looking after them. And so their choice is what it takes. So is their word is literally spiritual law. The And what happens is I will go in and start um, demolishing all of the influence they have on that, indivi on that individual for each of the different levels, slowly but surely, pulling them apart one by one, pulling apart their infrastructure, killing their personnel, and, um, and rehabilitating the original non-physical body systems to their full health, um, which takes a lot of time. The um, What what makes it even a little bit trickier is that those guys, you know how I talked about the foot soldiers and then the, the upper ranks? If the upper ranks lose somebody as lucrative as a drug addict, then what happens is um, they often send another force to reclaim the territory. And I say that in inverted commas because they regard a human being as a field that they can harvest. And if they lose a, if they lose a very profitable one, they, they quite often send another force back to reclaim it, which is another battle that I've got to fight. But, you know, none of this is, this is, this is what I do all day, every day. This is like how I, this is what I do. Uh, all the time. So, you know, and a friend of mine joked, he said, Oh, you're out killing demons before breakfast. And I go, Yeah, pretty much every day. <laughs> like, oh. Okay, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. But I hadn't thought of it that way. But this is, this is just another day at the office. And it's, and although it's an unknown, although it's a spooky and scary thing, there are people who've devoted their life's work to it. And there are professionals in the field who are indestructible. For somebody that is willing to be exercised, is it a pain-free experience or yeah. can it be physically and mentally taxing on their body and mind? 
Oh, yeah. Well, if you do it the Christian way, like, where, you, where you hold a cross at someone and shout the, the power of Christ compels you or whatever you say, however they say it, like, it's going to be painful. Like, you know, you're going to have people convulsing on the bed. But without being funny about it, I have developed the skills to go straight for the jugular. It's not a, it's not combat. It's just their instant death. Uh, this is how I've, I've done so many hours of astral combat that this is where I'm at with it now. Right. So how does that look for you in a first person view? You, how do you enter this person's mind, body, spirit? And what, what do you see physically? I'll come and do of one you? of my trainings and then it won't be an abstract concept. Come do one of my trainings because like, seriously, like be a wizard. It's awesome. Of all the things you wanted to be as a kid, come and be a wizard. That, that's basically where the training will take you. Right? And you know, the more wizards there are, the more white wizards there are in the world, the better this place will be. You've got me intrigued. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Your ghost stories. Your ghost stories. Alba, you've you've massively opened my eyes. You've inspired me, and I really hope. I, I mean, I'm confident that you've inspired a lot of people listening at home as well. Um, and I personally can't thank you enough for, for what you are doing for humanity. And I really believe the world needs more people like you. So please keep being you, keep spreading more goodness, love, positivity into this world. Um, you've probably been the most fascinating person I've ever, ever had the chance to... Um, chat with in my life and uh yeah i can't thank you enough for your time and 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 for joining us on the podcast that's quite a compliment thanks mate thanks mate look um look just invite me back and i promise i'll say some more interesting things Uh, (laughs) it's been fun it has been fun and it's been really good talking to you yeah Yeah. it's really great to meet you and yeah thanks again for joining us yep i uh if, if you want to find out more about me Look me up on YouTube as Alobar Jones, which my name's down in the corner there, or alobarjones.com. But otherwise, um, to everyone, may the force be with you. Good night.